I pledge myself to the pod. Loyal I'll always be. A P to start, a D at the end, and an O sitting in between. Welcome back to In Omnia Paratus. I'm Jay, like the letter. And I'm Angela, also known as AVO. We are two friends diving into our own past and present, evaluating if we were ever truly ready for anything. We discuss all things from the definition of dating to all the things school didn't prepare us for. Listen as we talk about career changes, give plenty of unsolicited opinions, and work on becoming the type of people we want to see in the world. <sighs> good morning, everyone. Hi, Jay. I thought you are going to go all Paris Geller, like the good morning, Utah, Omaha, Nebraska. Good morning, Vietnam. Oh, I was way off. Hit us up in the DMs if you know what movie that's from. I've actually never seen it. I didn't know it was from a movie. Okay, wait. We're going to test the mute button now to see how this works. Okay. Oh, I can see your lips moving, but no sound. It's working. Okay, great. Glad we got that out of the way. It'll be interesting to see how this goes seeing each other. Unfortunately, you guys aren't going to get to see us because this is a test run, Mm -hmm. but we're seeing on the platform we use has a video function now to see how it works out. I like it. I, I like the way that they structure it. I know. And I think, I feel like aesthetically it really appeals to you as well. And it has some of our brand colors in it. It does. Or is that just me? Am I slightly colorblind? You are, but it does. (laughs) Okay, cool. So Jay, how's your week been? I don't even know what happened this week. Um, I know, it feels like kind of a blur. I can tell you what happened last week though. My period started and ended. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. So mine started at the beginning of this week. So it's it's almost over. I'm con- no, we're on a Sunday. Now I'm confused. Okay. Um, oh, okay. All right. I guess before we get into this first, how do you qualify your weeks? Because I think of them as Sunday to Monday. And then when I am on a Sunday and I think of last week, I think of everything that happened from now to the previous Sunday. But Sunday to Monday is eight, nine days. Because <laughs> Sunday to Sunday is eight days. How does that work? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Okay. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. All right. Well, your other hand there was blocked by the pop filter, so I'll take your word for it. Yeah, that was nine nine days. I go, my weeks go Sunday to Saturday, which is seven days. (laughs) I mean, frankly, I still count my years in terms of the academic calendar. So I'm like, oh, yay, new school year every August, and that's no longer relevant. Yikes. Exactly. Okay. So I have a question for you. Okay. Do you say you are on your period? Or you have your period? Um, To answer your question, though, I don't – I flip back and forth. I use any sort of kind of reference for it. My new favorite one that I started a few years ago is my body's reminding me it can produce children one day. Very nice. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think I do the same thing. But when I was putting together the outline for this episode, I wanted to be grammatically correct. And I actually wasn't able to find anything. I found a lot of articles about which was the proper phrasing, but there were no clear answers. Did I just say which was the proper phrasing? Maybe. I think I did. Oh oh my god, the coffee hasn't kicked in yet. You don't drink coffee. Today, I do. Because, again, I couldn't sleep last night. Okay, I think we settled it. We both say intermittently on our period having a period. We're not exactly sure which is grammatically correct. And hopefully, listeners, as you put together right now, today we're talking about our periods. The menstrual cycle, known by many fun euphemisms such as Aunt Flo, the Crimson Tide, the Red Wedding, Strawberry Gushers, Ew. Carrie, and even more than that. Jay, do you, have a, do you have a favorite? I'm assuming that Carrie comes from people younger than us because I've never heard that one before. Oh, I've heard it. You've never- Oh, really? Yeah, like the movies. Oh, yeah, totally. I just, I'd never heard anyone use it in that way before. I've heard it on shows. I've heard it in reference. I've never used it because I don't do horror movies, so I wouldn't jump that way. But you forgot about the favorite one I introduced you to. Oh, Shark Week. That is excellent. I I think the new one that I found in this was Strawberry Gushers, and I thought that was aptly appropriate. No. I sometimes, like, you know what? It just happens. I like eating strawberry gushers. No. Oh, okay. Sorry. I I didn't even think of that. I'm not a gushers person. Were you a fruit roll-up person? I was, actually. The one that looked like a sheet of paper or the one that rolled? I liked the one that rolled better. I like the one with tongue But for whatever reason, like the paper... Oh, those were cute. Whatever happened to those? Do they still exist? 
Yes. All right. So getting back on topic here. Historically, and even today in some areas of the world, there's a lot of stigma attached to period havers when that time of the month comes around. But it's a regular, normal, biological happening outside of all of our control. So vagina havers, this one is for you today. We're pulling back the curtain here to try to normalize the conversation for everyone. I thought in the spirit of this, because this can be a little weird to talk about, we would just get it out, shake the nerves off, and start with story time. So Jay, do you have a period-related story you would like to share? Or do you want to rock, paper, scissors it to see who goes first? But before I tell the story... Okay. Why did you want to talk about this? Like, for the people or for me personally? Well, this was one of your month topics. So both, I guess. Like, this is a topic because you wanted okay. us to speak on this. Okay, well, personally, I would just like to normalize this conversation all around. I think that there have been a lot of moments in my life where I felt the need to hide my period or hide the fact that something was going on or I was really worried that someone would notice something. And that's one week approximately every 35 days for me that I'm overly anxious and trying to hide something that I really don't need to be ashamed about. Like it happens. It's normal. It's it's just something vagina havers go through. And please note that I'm saying vagina havers because this is not just a women girls issue. This is a vagina havers issue. Not like I'm still learning about that as in I don't know what this is, but I'm still learning about like correct terminology and everything like that. So I'm just I'm just going to leave it at vagina havers for today. <laughs> Also, just in the interest of vagina havers throughout the world, I think that there's a lot of things related to periods that we don't talk about. So I, I want to touch on this a little bit later, but I feel like the ideas of period poverty and menstrual equity aren't really discussed as often as they should be, and they're just sort of put down. And ugh, the eloquence is just not there today, folks. But it's just, it's not right. And I want to talk about it. And I want to just help get rid of some of those taboos and stigmas associated with it so that this becomes a little easier for people down the line. Very fair. I feel like the biggest thing that anyone who's had a period must have gone through at least once is being out in public, being anywhere that's not your home and needing to try to hide a period catching device, try to slide it into a pocket, try to slide it into their bra, try to slide it into their shoe, trying to make it unseen so they can change and try to stay hygienic while not making a huge fuss around everyone around them. Oh my gosh, really? And then- I was gonna say, I know there are companies that make cute little packages and cute little things to make it more appealing, but it's like, I personally haven't, I know there's a huge stigma around it and I don't feel like I've personally, fortunately experienced a lot of that. I do feel the thing of like slipping a pad or slipping a tampon into my shoe or into my bra or somewhere when I don't want it to be seen. But it's also just something very personal that I don't think needs to be announced, needs to be. I see period as kind of like, I'm not trying to say I'm super evolved in any way or that I'm more educated in this conversation or anything, but I'm kind of at a place where it's a non-issue. Like I get my period, it's gonna happen. And for me personally, I just rather keep it as discreet as possible. It's my issue to deal with. I'm gonna do it. I don't think that people make a big deal. I don't think people should or shouldn't make a big deal out of it. I just think it, it, it happens. I, there should definitely be more access to supplies and people should be educated on it. But like in my own life, it's kind of a, this happens. I don't need to like wave my tampon around for everyone to know. And I also don't take it from people when they have a comment about it that I need to go fix something because it's not their issue to deal with. See, and I think we should all be able to get to that point. So hopefully after today, after talking about it, I'll feel a little better. Listeners, hopefully you'll feel a little better too. And we'll go from there. What happened to your nose? I think because the computer is lower than me so that I can have the mic at the optimal level. It looks pinched. Level. You're like, I, I know this is a very good angle for my nose, not for the rest of my face, but my nose is looking great. I know. It looks like you contoured it or got like a nose tuck. Right? You should just- Actual level on camera. This is my normal nose. This is the cute nose. Just have everyone take photos of you like that. Oh, see, but then because of my eyebrows, I get that like really weird thing with my eyes. I mean, you can try both and then experiment and see which ones people like more. Oh, maybe I just really have to learn how to photo edit and then I crop 
at like no. the whatever this portion is called and then no. It won't work because your eyes are so big. Okay. I'm right. going to be able to get the two angles to match up. Oh my God. Or maybe I just give myself extra big eyes. You don't need to give yourself extra big eyes. You have big eyes. You have big eyes. I really go for that deer in the headlights look. The only real story I have is my first period, which I kind of feel like is the one that most people have a story for because you never really know when it's going to happen. For me, I was giving a tour of my middle school to incoming sixth graders. And it was the summer between sixth and seventh grade, I believe. And I agreed to do this with one of my best friends at the time. And we went to the boba ice cream shop a few blocks away afterward before her mom came to pick us up. And I went to the bathroom and like saw it. And then I called my mom on my flip phone. I didn't have my Blair Waldorf red like envy yet. I had a flip phone and I'm just like, what do I do? I didn't have anything because I didn't think to. Like I, it wasn't on my head that that was going to happen. Fortunately, her mom picks us up. This friend of mine was on the later end of development, but she was always very envious of her friends who started to develop, whether it was like their chest got bigger or when their period started. She was always like very excited. She was one of those girls who was like really, really ready to become a woman in the physical sense. And me, someone who I was like, it's going to happen. Like I didn't have it, but she was really excited about it. So like we go back to her house. Fortunately, her mom's awesome. She had plies. She helped me figure it out. And we were supposed to go to the movies later. So we ended up still going to see Hairspray after. It was a little traumatic because I was kind of like, oh, what do I do? Thankfully, they had pads. If I had had to be instructed on how to put in a tampon, I would have panicked probably. And panicking is the last thing you want to do when trying to insert a tampon. Then we go to the movies. And then I remember a few days later, we're having a sleepover at this friend's house. And like, we're all planning on like going at the sprinklers and like running around and like, she makes like a big deal like of it. She's like, oh my God, like I told all our, like, our other friends, like they know, like I'm like, oh, oh okay, thank, thank you. And again, she was very excited and I can understand that I guess for someone who wasn't having some of these changes and kind of hearing about it, having older cousins, having older siblings, older friends, like why that's a conversation that is fun to have. But it was a thing of like, oh, like, don't worry. Like, we know we're going into the water. Like, we have things. Like, you don't have to. Like, I understand. So it was like, it was very supportive. But also it was a thing of like a very kind of mystified, magical excitement for what this meant. And then ever since there, the biggest lie I was told is that my period would regulate itself and that everything was fine. But that's a different line of topics we'll continue on, I'm sure, later in this episode. Oh my gosh. Okay, I that's a little hard for me to wrap my head around, honestly, because my experience was so different. None of my friends in middle school openly talked about their periods. It was something that everyone basically tried to hide, and I I didn't really talk about it with friends until high school. I didn't have a choice. I was with her in the boba shop in Like I didn't have, I mean, I don't know what I would have done otherwise. I had known a few of my friends had gotten theirs in like fourth, fifth grade, but of my kind of more middle school friend group, I think, no, I was the second. One of the girls already had it, but she hadn't said anything, but she also had an older sister, I believe. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that conversation would have gotten, but like she was the one person I knew in the situation and like my mom wasn't there and right other than my mother was would be the parent I would have wanted for that situation because she was very much like Mm -hmm. okay she very much would take cues from whatever one of our friends this happened to and do it whether they needed comforting whether they needed just kind of like for me it was more of a okay this happened like what do you need what do you want to do like it was very like okay like congrats let's Mm -hmm. let's go forward but I don't know if I had had the choice what I have told my friends or what I have not. Okay. I mean, overall, it sounds like a really good, nice, supportive ex- experience. Definitely. Oh, yeah. And that's good. That's what we should all have. Yeah, I think I definitely didn't bring mine up with friends. I started mine right before fifth grade on a Girl Scout camping trip. So I was definitely with a lot of other people, but I kept it to myself. Wait, do you still have your do you have your sash? Uh, Somewhere, yeah. Although I had a vest. Oh, I always wanted to be a Girl Scout, but there were no troops where I am, which does, I mean. Really? Yeah. There weren't any at the time, which to me makes no sense. so weird. Really, though? There were no troops here. I feel like you would have loved being a Girl Scout. I wanted to be a Girl Scout so badly, especially after watching Troop Beverly Hills. (laughs) But like, there there were no troops here. 
Well, I wonder if you have to be suburban, like a former Girl Scout to be a troop leader. Oh, no. I I meant for you. Oh. Like you can be a troop leader. Oh, no. I live vicariously through watching the Sister Sister episode where Tamara goes back for it. I'm good. But if you had, Got it. If okay. you had your badge, I would like us to do a show and tell with it. And then I can ask a bunch of questions. Oh, okay. And then I can make you do all the things the badge is clear you have the abilities to do. So actually, in true Angela fashion, I went for a lot of badges that I don't have, but I did read and do all of the practical things for them. I just didn't actually get them supervised by my troop leader because she was a little bit um, what's the word? Racist? Oh my god. <laughs> no, I, I don't, I, I don't think that. I think she was just a little, she was a little more into, like, the fun, good times of it rather than the practicalities. So we did events and we went camping, like, we did a lot of ice skating and cookie sales and play dates and troop meetings, but they weren't actually related to Girl Scout business. It was more us, like, watching movies and hanging out while our parents hung out. And then, yeah, yay, let's continue you with Girl Scouts. Interesting. So yeah. Girl Scout camping trip arrived home. Yeah. And I didn't say anything. I just started taking pads from my mom's cabinet and I'm assuming, no, I, I know it took her a few months to figure it out because I don't know. Sometimes when you start your period, it can be really irregular. So mine would come for like two or three days and that was it. So I wasn't going through a ton of pads. Um, So I think maybe about three months later, my mom realized that they were going missing and she sat me down and gave me a book to read on the changes of your body and puberty. And she had me sit in her room and read it. And it was, it was a short book. It was maybe like 50 pages. So I read it. And then when I was, she told me, just like, tell me when you're finished reading it. So I was like, okay. As soon as I was done, she was like watching me read it. And then she asked, do you have any questions? And I said, no. And she was like, oh, okay. And that was it. And honestly, I think I kind I personally liked it that way because I'm already sort of a little weird about medical things and things with my body. And I definitely had a little bit of anxiety going into my first period because my reference point for it was the movie My Girl. I don't I don't know if you've ever seen it, but the main character, she actually gets Is that the one where the kid dies not wearing his glasses? Yes. I've only seen that scene in like montages of like movies that make you cry. And I cried from the scene, so I have no interest in watching the movie. Oh god. Yeah, that part. Oh my god. It's it's a very good cute but also heartbreaking movie yeah so that was my only reference point the main character she gets her period that summer and she doesn't know what it is but her father's a mortician so she knows and is adjacent to a lot of medical terminology related to death so she knows what hemorrhaging is so she runs through the house yelling that she's hemorrhaging and that literally goes through my mind like every time I have my period. Ooh. So I yeah, it just it just gives me like a little bit of anxiety. Like every time it starts, I'm like, is this normal? Has it been 30 days? Is something wrong? Am I hemorrhaging? Even though I I know realistically I'm totally not like that's just always been there. So I was very happy to not have to talk about it anymore. And then as I got older, my mom and I talked more about it, but I think neither one of us were really ready for it to happen that early. How old were you? I was almost 11. Oh, no. This was like right before fifth grade started. So I think almost 11, yeah. I was turning, it was the summer before, I was 11 and a half, okay. Mm -hmm. But I do have friends who like got in like fifth, fourth grade who are like nine. I think nine is the youngest I ever heard. I'm like, oh my God, that, that, that sounds terrible. Mm-hmm. But how did you know you okay? You knew you weren't hemorrhaging. You knew you were having a period. But when did a, when did a period become a concept? I know I must have learned about it before. But my first like memory that I can pull right now it's this book series, the TTYL ones that were all kind of like an emoticons like in this group chat. It's also like when I learned at some point like hair would start growing, and I was like, what like what? I didn't know how to pronounce the word for the hair. I was like, what is this word? I'm like, it looks like public, but it's not public. And I was like, mom, what is this? Like, and I did like. That's how I like learned about that. I think that was like in like sixth oh grade. Oh my god! I always wanted to read those books. I think I just read the first mm. one, but that's where where I started. Not from like a social or like a like a 
like a cultural reference. I'm sure I had other ones before that, but that's like the one that I remember was like around the time that this was all mm-hmm. happening. Okay. I feel like mine was also from a book too, but Did you read the cookbooks? I think they do. Anyway? In the later books, but I don't think those came out until we were in like seventh, eighth grade. So by then it was already a thing. But I think mine also came from a book, but I know I also got into a lot of books that were too mature for me at that age. Of course you That did. I was reading them. Yeah. So uh, unintentionally, like I, I didn't like go out seeking like weird books, but um, they just oh found God, you. this is going to be so weird. If anybody remembers R.L. Stein books, Goosebumps, there was also a few later editions of things that were meant for like older teenagers, college students. And some of my cousins had those and they were on the same shelf as the Goosebumps. So I started reading those and no one really noticed because I was always reading. So it was just sort of assumed like, oh, whatever, Angela found a new book. And then I didn't didn't know that they were inappropriate for me until one day one of my cousins saw it and was like, um, I don't think you should be reading that little third grade me reading about what goes on at like high school and college parties. So yeah. But yeah, okay. So I guess it's my turn for story time. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So initially I was going to share this story because as the icebreaker to get us into the conversation, but we're we're already in it. So talk about Carrie. Do do I still share in the interest of fairness? Oh oh god. Okay. Um I can tell you I had an incident at work now a year and a half ago because I because because of the pandemic, that's the last time I really spent good time in the office. But I went into another person's office to have a meeting with them. And the chairs in our office are gray, like this very light gray color. And I was on my period. I sat down and I was just like chilling. And then at one point I shift a little bit and things adjust and I was wearing a pad And I guess at some point it shifted to the side. And the next thing I know, I can feel some things flowing. And oh my God. Okay, I was wearing really thin pants that day too. They were black, luckily. So I was covered there, but I didn't know exactly what to do about this light gray chair because I didn't know if if I'd shifted enough, like what had happened. And just to preface this all for you all as well, I work in an office of mostly men, so I didn't really know what to say getting out of the office. So I just tried to push the meeting on for as long as I could. Oh God. Yeah, really horrible. So what I did was I, I, oh my God, I didn't even want to really look. I just like was sitting there in the chair and I was like, hmm, is this a new chair? Is this an old chair? And he was like, I I don't know. I was like, you know what? I have a new chair at my desk. Why don't I just like swap this out for you? And he's like, oh, it really doesn't matter. I was like, no, no, no. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. You should totally have a new chair for like guests and things when they come into your office. So I took the chair with me when I left. Did you scoot in it or like, how did no one scoot? Uh, No, I I got up, but I, oh my, I got up. I like shifted my notebook off of my lap and put it on the chair seat. And then I just dragged the chair out. And I was like, I will be right back. So then I came back like 10 minutes later with the chair from my desk. And I was like, here you go. See, isn't that so much better? And he looked at me like I was insane. I was just like, I'm really really sorry. I don't know how to tell you that I now need to get blood out of your chair. I mean, here's the thing where I think it's like period or not like vagina owners have a higher rate of having that incident happen. But if a guy like cut his knee and then like blood on someone's couch, like bleeding anywhere, blood is hard to get out. Starting there, blood is like a hard fluid substance to get out of clothing and or fabric and or anything. It's not pleasant to clean up your own or not. But vagina owners just have a higher chance of it happening when they're sitting because they get Mm -hmm. periods. So I think it's just like an unfair ratio, but I don't, I feel like it'd be embarrassing for anyone to bleed on anything. Oh my God, totally. You have a higher chance than non-vagina owners of the population. Yeah. Or non-vagina owners or vagina owners with certain types of contraception. If you get your tubes tied, do you get a period or no? I don't actually know, but I want to say no because there's no, there shouldn't be a hormonal shift. Is, oh, I don't know. We'll, we'll look into that. All right. Okay. So you talked about how your period is allegedly supposed to regulate as you get older. So mine actually started out very regular. 
Lucky you. Like I've always been able to pinpoint like when it's going to start, when it should be ending. If there's only been a few times in my young, my younger childhood years where it was thrown off due to stress or something. But within the last two years, it's gotten ridiculously insane. Mine's never been. No, I went through this period about a year ago where every two weeks it would come back. So it was like every two weeks I had a period for like three to four days. Very lightly, but it was just completely inconvenient, which sounds so wrong. But at the same time, it's just, it really is inconvenient because you're just trying to go about your life and you're not expecting it. And then bam, it's there. Mine hasn't been regular since I got it in middle school. And it would regulate for about six months and then I would just lose it. And then it would come back and then my doctor's always like, it's fine, it'll regulate, it's fine. It'll regulate, it never regulated, it never got easier, it never got normal, I never had any predictability. And it also felt like everyone else either wasn't, either didn't share, didn't want to share, but everyone else around me, it feels like has a regular period until college. So I don't know whether it's just the maturity or the friends I had happened to be very lucky with it or they were on birth control younger than I was, I don't know. But mine were never regular. Mm -hmm. And then it got really bad in college because there were some some months I would just like bleed for an entire month different levels but like I had to be cautious which was so inconvenient I was studying around Europe when this happened then my senior year of college it got terrible so it we do this thing prepping for sorority recruitment each year where we have to go back a week early and two of our sisters were staying at my house and there was like one day I almost thought I couldn't walk to campus to go because my cramps are so bad and what I was told by oh the school nurse and kind of everything is like I was at one I was anemic because what happened was my body was like because it wasn't self-regulating it wasn't mm -hmm. shedding the way it should be it was happening it, it was so much like I had to swap out every hour or so which is far faster than one should need to with any type of thing mm -hmm. and I became anemic from it so I eventually got on birth control and like figured had to regulate that way but my body can never regulate it and it got worse and I do have some hormone imbalances and there are a lot of factors that could do it besides anxiety stress there are a whole bunch of things that can add to it but with so many factors that can add to it and with so many people who I'm now learning have endometriosis and PCOS and how common all of these things are I feel like I'd rather my doctor just say it's normal rather than it'll regulate because I feel like when you hear it'll regulate it sounds like it's fine the way it is now but at some point your body's gonna figure this shit out and then mine just never did naturally and the mm -hmm. other thing this this is just like a quick little story um I went on birth control because of my periods because I was becoming anemic because of all of these really bad symptoms and when I went to the health center she's like okay like just so you know I'm gonna put this as contraceptive use because that's the way to make it free so she's like, if I say you're on getting birth control for contraception, like it'll be free through the school. But otherwise, I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, okay, sure. And we're pro contraception here. We're pro pro choice, pro having babies when you want to have babies, your body, your choice, all that great things. But it was also frustrating that like for something for me, just wanting to not be anemic and to try to get this to work out. It had to be under the guise of needing contraceptive. I know. I've heard this from so many different people. It's astounding. Like not just with school healthcare, but with regular insurance going through an outside provider like Planned Parenthood or something like that. It's so much easier to get birth control if it's being prescribed for a birth control. I don't know. We'll <laughs> call it a recreational use. Yeah, for like real birth control rather than for something medically necessary. I know I've I've never been on birth control, but it's been offered to me a few times. Uh, one in college for acne and then two years ago when I was having the every two week periods just to help my body re-regulate and see if I could get back into that normal cycle. And luckily, I have pretty nice insurance from work. It's just so weird because every time that we've talked about it, the doctor has also put in additional notes that said that I have asked for it for XYZ purpose for medical use. So that way I always have access to it in the future if I need it so that it's something known and documented should I ever request it in the future. There's no there's no question of why and it should be easier for me to get, which I think is so, I just think it's such an interesting juxtaposition to other people's experiences where it's not, where it's not prescribed to them medically. Sorry, that was such a weird sentence. 
I also think with the medical advancements, I'm only speaking of this briefly, neither of us are medical professionals. I haven't even read the book I'm about to reference or seen it. I've just seen a pattern recently of influencers and people speaking about how people are going off birth control and why they are for and kind of what birth control can do to one's body. I know it's a movement on social media to open up like the pamphlet that comes in a birth control packet and read kind of all the symptoms and what can happen, symptoms likely or not, kind of things that Mm -hmm. Most of us don't read just kind of like the terms and conditions when we agree to sign our life away to a social media or a game that there are there's a bunch of stuff in there and it's surprising at this point that I think I'm gonna way oversimplify this but it's like the main reason we have periods one day is so our eggs have the potential to be fertilized and for us to reproduce and for me personally until I'm ready for that time as long as I know that process can happen I don't really care if I my periods are regular till I get go through menopause as long as I'm sure my body knows it can regulate and can have children I'm not super religious but like god willing is the only phrase I can go with right now and that was kind of the other scary part about how kind of my period was as I was with my doctors like if, if you tell me it's normal it's normal but I want to make sure that nothing's going that this will not be re- affecting my reproductive system down the line because I don't want to be going mm-hmm. into 35 which is the age of a geriatric pregnancy and realizing that I've been doing things terribly for years prior one of the reasons I don't want an IUD mm-hmm. that I'm now 25 even though I have a friend who just had a recently terrible experience with it but in general I have friends who've had great experiences with their IUDs but the whole thing is an IUD is meant to last for four to six years and then to get those hormones out of your body and then have to like start for children is a little bit later than I want to kind of in my ideal timeline of things so I just wouldn't get one in but people are stopping taking birth control because of all of the extra things it can do with impact a vagina owner's body and like I said I have not done much research into this I know people are starting to do it and just kind of be more informed kind of like just like people with makeup and what's in their makeup what's in their skincare what are they eating how much water are they drinking all of these things and birth control and medicine is one of those areas where a lot of people are starting to kind of look at more and kind of me cycling back to the original point was I don't understand why there's nothing that can be done that's Mm -hmm. just to help regulate periods if they wanted to be regulated without all of the birth control without literally the birth control part of it I mean I guess it's hormonal so you kind of need to do both but I don't understand it and like I said I'd be fine with an irregular period forever as long as I my doctors were doing everything they could to make sure my uterus and ovaries and fallopian tubes and all those great things that are going to one day needed to make ideally my twin boys first but like whatever comes in store I'm willing to have be healthy happy babies and other than that like I wouldn't care about much else regarding my period which is probably a little simple-minded but that's my priority Mm -hmm. contraception is just such a weird thing in relation to your period because it's offer it's offered for so many things at the same time it gives you like so many of those different side effects frankly i haven't figured out why in the history of contraception we haven't been able to combat some of those like for example it can give people like a lot of fluctuations with their hormones which leads to like mood swings or potential depression and shouldn't we be beyond that now like it just it feels so it feels like so much progress has stalled with it. I mean, one, I definitely don't think it's a priority for the backers in the medical community, even though more than half the world deals with this. But my other point with this is that it's hormonal. It's all hormone. That kind of system is all intertwined so carefully that it's hard to pinpoint certain things that do certain things. Like they know the two things in birth control are estrogen and progesterone. Mm-hmm. I believe. And then some of those things are also taken to help conceive. And like that whole system is so connected to your hormones and to everything that it's hard to just like kind of pinpoint the button to press when the backing and the desire of the people who have the purse strings aren't pulling them. I think in addition to just dealing with those hormonal imbalances, birth control can be very weird because it also causes, also may cause additional changes to your body that you're already sort of experiencing with the onset of your period and puberty. So I was always a little bit hesitant to take birth control because I know that it can lead to um, a potential danger with blood clots and there's a clotting disorder in my family. But I was also very hesitant because I didn't want to gain weight or potentially have my chest get any bigger than it was. So I know like that's, I feel like that's just such a weird part of having your period too. I don't know. Jay, how did you deal with the changes to your body? You know, because I know for me, I 
was totally freaked out by the onset of my hips. I always had a very straight, streamlined figure, and I I liked that like I could basically wear any sort of pants. And then sixth, seventh grade, I'd really started to get curvier, and it was so hard to get things to fit properly because I I don't skip leg day. But for whatever reason, it's really hard for me to get my legs to match my hips. So like sizing pants over them is always a little weird. So when I get something to like accurately fit my hips, it's really big in the leg. And so I know for me, like the first time that I really became self-conscious of this was in eighth grade Taekwondo when I needed to go up a size in my uniform and suddenly it was really big and baggy and I felt so weird. Not to mention it was also white. So that was three classes a month where I was freaked out about something potentially showing through because I've I've never done tampons. It's always been pads. Like they were never presented as an option to me. And I I don't know. I was always I was always warned against toxic toxic shock syndrome, which when you're younger, I mean, even now, it still sounds like the most terrifying thing, but it's definitely enough to ward you off of them when you're young. I don't really have much association with like developing. Like I got my chest grew. I don't feel like my hips. I always felt more hourglassy. So I always had the issue where I would be hiking my pants up because they would fall below my stomach all the time. I used to have the jeans that had like the last, the like buttons you could like pull in tighter at the waist because. I'd always have to hike my pants up because they wouldn't stay at my waist. But I think, and I also, like I've said before, I have hypothyroidism or which just has to do with is a hormone thing brought on. So I've, I didn't, those changes were all kind of happening within like within a four to five year gap. So all of those kind of changes happening, I can't really pinpoint what was what and what happened. The one thing I will say, which I think everyone needs to do, I finally got Angela to do, <laughs> took six years go to a department store and get sized correctly. I don't care what size Victoria's Secret tells you you are. You frankly shouldn't be shopping there anyway. They are anti-LGBTQ. They are fat phobic and shaming and probably a bunch of other things too. Trust me, I've watched the fashion show like everyone else, but they cannot size correctly. I have friends who have been B and C cups who I know are not B and C cups. They size up. We have friends who've worked there. They size you up to make people feel better. And I don't think you should be shamed for having a smaller chest. And there are ways to get push-up bras that are an A cup. But when you're someone who actually has a chest and you're trying to listen to Victoria's Secret size you, it just doesn't work. I would never get sized there. I was never sized there because as, well, I'm going to speak for Angela for a minute. When I had her get sized correctly, the bra was not as cute as she would have wanted it. But her figure when she put clothes on looked better than some of the other top she's worn when her bras were not the right size. Oh my god, I looked so different. I looked so much better. I I can actively say that. I looked so much better. But frankly, I trusted Victoria's Secret for so long because like I was sized outside at other department stores that we trust more. And it always lined up with Victoria's Secret sizing. They might size you correctly at Victoria's Secret, but when they show you the bras of that size, they're not the correct size. Frankly, in college, it just feels so cute. Speculation. I don't know. My thing is like, Victoria's Secret could size you at a 34C, but when you take uh, one of their bras to the 34C and actually measure it against the 34C. Okay, here's something else that I think I thought was common knowledge to figure out your bra size, because I feel like it's a mystified, mystic thing that people, and sometimes it is a little bit off when you're in between sizes and you can kind of go up a band, down a cup. Yeah, I'm doing this visually as if anyone else can see me. When you go underneath your breast pull a tape measure kind of taut around the bottom of it and that is your band size and then give or take of course then you measure across the widest part of your back and your nipples and that is typically a larger number so let's say your band is a 32 and then when you measure around the widest part of you it is a 36 that is a four inch difference and then the letters correspond to that. So if it was a 32 band and then a 33 on the wider part, that would be a 32A and then two and a 34 and a 32, 32B, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, going up. And the reason sometimes people will say, oh, you're a 34B or 
a 32C is because when you do that inch proportion, they're similar. So sometimes when you're getting like a strapless bra, you're going to want to go down a band size and up a cup size so you get the correct support to support your ribs and your back when you're wearing a strapless thing because of gravity. And as I'm speaking as someone who has a chest, had a larger chest, but Mm -hmm. for the most of this part had a larger chest than most of my friends, it's not fun to not shop at Victoria's Secret. It's not fun to explain why you can't get the bralettes, why you can't wear certain clothes, why certain styles don't work on you. And for everyone, wear what you want, wear what makes you feel good. I'm not telling you you can't wear things, but I personally know, and I've personally convinced Angela out, when we wear things that are higher neck, you get a uniboob. And it's not cute. It's not the most flattering for our body. And if that's what made Angela feel confident, and I would tell her to wear it. But I also know that when Angela listens to me and wears the tops I tell her to wear, she carries herself better because it's more balanced. Okay, I do honestly have to say that was one of like the hardest points in our friendship when I had to give up some of those tops because I really do like them. I love the style of it. I just don't have I didn't make you give them proportions up. for it to make it look as good as it does. No, I know. I gave them up for myself. But just acknowledging that they aren't for me has been really hard within the realm of the time of our friendship. Like I know when I when I shop, I still gravitate towards them. I'm like, ooh, so cute. I'm like, oh, this isn't for me though. And then I think about all the different ways. I'm like, hmm, well, maybe it could be for me. But we just we just don't. Angela can wear whatever she wants to wear or does not want to wear for that fact. And because she has a larger chest, it doesn't mean she can't wear anything. The only thing is when you look at a piece, you're typically basing it off the way you f- it looks on someone on Instagram, a celebrity, a website, someone, a model wearing it. And when that model is a member of the itty bitty titty committee, it's going to look different. It just will. And mm-hmm. if you like the way it looks on someone with your chest, if you like the top regardless of it, Fine. For me, the mindset was wearing this top, I will never look like this. And for me, it was always a reminder. I will not look like this. So rather, I'm going to wear a top that looks like X cut because that's going to one look more realistic to how it will look on me. And it's just going to flatter what I have. Because another thing, this isn't like breast boob episode, but another thing is when you wear something on your chest and it fits better, it can correctly and aesthetically minimize or maximize your chest when it's the correct fit. So to have more options like to wear those higher cut tops with a larger chest, you really need the foundational garments to be correct. Here, here. And speaking of the correct fit for things, how do you size a tampon? I thought it was just about like how much was flowing. I thought that's what the sizes were, like regular, like just like pads, like maxi, mini, like it's about how much like absorption it has to do. No? Right. But like how, well, no, yeah, that's correct. But how do you... I don't know. How do you adjust for that? So basically what led to this line of questioning. So I've never used a tampon. And secondly, I was Googling trying to figure it out and I came to the FDA's guidelines on tampons and they explicitly Mm, warn against using one that has a higher absorption rate than you need. But how how do you accurately figure that out? I think it'd be similar to a pad. I don't know. When I was having my big issue when I went to the doctor for it. It was about, I think, don't quote me on this and Angela, please fact check this. I think it's about method of absorption should need to be, should be medium, should be like full-ish about every two to four hours. Can be a little bit more, can be a little bit less. Or it's like between like four to six hours is like it should be, be a certain amount absorbed. And you can change it more, change it less, but like you shouldn't need to change it prior to two hours, two to four hours, I think. So I think it's like going off of that. Right. Yeah. I think general medical recommendation is that if you're filling one up per hour, you should talk to a doctor. I'd assume it's the same for tampons. Like if you're regular, use regular. And if you're heavier, use heavier. And I think it also depends on what day of your period you are. Like I know for me from day one and a half to day three typically is heavier. So I would up it or change it more frequently. I think it also probably depends on like, I mean, I don't know this, but like how many like Kegels you do and post-pregnancy maybe probably are for people who need more absorption and larger ones. Not directly after, but like 
like a head gets pushed out of there. Interesting. So I'm assuming there's a little more space. Oh, terrifying. Completely terrifying. No, I think it's just one of those things that sounds so simple, but it really isn't because it's just like, oh, find your correct absorption rate. But then your period isn't always regular. Sometimes it lasts 10 days. Sometimes it's three days. Sometimes it's really heavy two days. Sometimes it's really heavy all 10 days. You don't really know. I was trying to figure this out as part of a greater question of how much do women spend on personal hygiene products throughout their lifetime. Too much. So Jay, would you like to take a guess? Let's say an average box of tampons is $4 and it comes, yeah, I'm going to get really mathy here, guys. Sorry. It t- okay, a typical box of tampon, well, I can just go with mine. Okay. My, my tampons okay. I have I have numbers box, already. And it's about- So I can- Compare yours to mine. $4 a box? $6 a box? And I'm on birth control. So my periods are relatively regular. Five days, three tampons two to three tampons a day so we'll just say 12 so like so every three boxes is three boxes is three months so 12 um two grandish give or take i got 17.28 and then i was like i'm just gonna add it a little bit for give and take that that is considered just about the average so it's about 1800 dollars that they estimate a woman yeah so the national average for what a woman spends on in her lifetime on personal hygiene products is a, just about $1,800. Wow, like 1780 something dollars. But I think this is definitely on the low end because when I started thinking about it, like there are a lot of other factors you oh, have yeah. to consider besides just your tampons. You can't use a tampon overnight, so you have to buy some pads or liners. There's the cost of ruined underwear or... Clothing. upholstery if you're me that needs to be thought about clothing um pain relief tylenol mydol um an investment in heating pads i never used mydol does it do something so it's supposed to be like this great period symptom cocktail it has acetaminophen caffeine and something else that's just supposed to be a better combination for you. Uh, I think I've only used it a couple times because I'm very caffeine sensitive and sometimes it's too much for me. Um, but I hear for some people it works great. Um, and then you also have to think about what types of products you're using. Like, are you using one of the regular brand names? Are you going for a generic? Are you going for an all natural or organic brand? And then also within the last few years, we've had the rise of the menstrual cup and period underwear and other things like that. So I believe the new estimated average is about $8,000. Well, yeah, because the number I gave you was just on tampon usage over a lifetime. Right. That's how most of our opponents or most of the people who like don't see period poverty as a thing, that's the number they use. They're like, $1,700. That's nothing in your lifetime. Then give it to me. Right? Well, the good thing is some states are actually doing that. California, New York, New Hampshire, Delaware, I believe, and Illinois have passed laws to make personal hygiene products available in public restrooms in their state for free. I mean, I think it's a good step, but I also think like the quality of the products they're putting in there. Completely. It's a step. I mean, I'm I'm not going to disregard that it's a step no i think i think it's a good step but no just to go to your to your point on the quality of the products i think that that's just something that we need to think about all together in terms of what we're putting out there for women because even the best all natural brands independent studies have shown that they still hold a certain level of toxins or pesticides in them and pads and tampons and other hygiene products while they are regulated by the fda because they are technically considered medical devices. They don't actually need to disclose everything that goes in them, which to me is highly suspect. Mm -hmm. Also, I'm not for giving men more credit than is due, such as like when men are willing to like take their own children to the park. That doesn't deserve a gold star. But something that I think can be normalized and it is good for men to do, whether it is for friends, for family. I've seen it on TikTok where like guys have like a bunch of like pads, tampons, things at their apartments. And I think it's just respectful to do. And I don't think, again, I don't think men should get credit for it. But for the fact that a lot of men don't, those who do, do get a few extra points. Because whether 
whether you need one or not, it's okay. I'm going to make a statement and this is not at all a comparison statement. It's just, I think the state, the statement can apply to a greater situations. I was listening to, um, Molly Bark on YouTube. She is a blind influencer who's big on advocacy and education. And she was having a talk with someone about how I'm only disabled in situations that are not accommodating to me. Like if I go to a restaurant and the menu's in braille or I can order off a tablet or something, I'm not disabled because I'm able to access and have autonomy here on my own. Not similar to that situation because ableism is a thing. Disability is a marginalized community that we don't look at enough and it can come in any color, race, size, everything. But in terms of this situation, when non-period havers have supplies for period havers in their space, it makes it a space that is inclusive because even though they aren't with it, they don't do it. If any person ever needed any of those supplies at this person's house, it makes it accessible and therefore not, it destigmatizes it, it makes it freeing and it makes it normalizes it. Completely. I mean, I think the one thing that I would say about having tampons or pads ready is like, make sure that you like clearly have them in such a way that it doesn't look like you're just like handing out some other girl's supplies that she randomly left in your apartment because oh my god the look on your face okay has this okay so the reason that I say this is because one time um when I was dating someone uh my hair tie snapped and he's like oh he's like don't worry he's like I have I have one and I was like oh okay cool I assumed it was mine that I just left or like maybe he was like being considerate and he just like had random hair ties or something because he didn't have long hair or anything like that that looked like it needed to be tied back. He handed over a blonde hair colored hair tie to me. I'm like, this very clearly isn't mine. Was there hair in it? There was not hair in it, but it definitely looked like it had been stretched out a few times and used. So like, it wasn't new. So I was like, yeah, this is definitely like some past girl's hair tie. Like, please don't just pull out like a crumpled tampon from like somewhere in your bathroom drawer. Leave them in the box. Make it oh. make it look like a nice thing that you oh. are providing, not that some other girl has left there oh oh see i would totally think of that did you use the hair tie no i didn't i said thank you and then i threw it in the trash okay not that i didn't appreciate what he thought but i don't think that you know any of the girls after me too would either appreciate that no yeah oh ew no well yeah because i've either seen it where the guys get a cute little one of those like acrylic boxes so they have like their display out oh or they have the box or they just like say oh there's a box under the counter Mm-hmm. And I, I would say invest in the acrylic box. Make it make it look good, guys. Well, yeah, but also if you have the acrylic box on your counter, I'd be more like, how often is this getting used? Oh, potentially. Because a box tampons don't expire, to my knowledge. So, I like be- that I box might be do. used because it's like the box might not be full, but it's also like you don't know how much it's used. Versus if the acrylic's not full every single time, it's it's more of a hit. But oh my god, that hair tie story is disgusting. Right? Ew. Yep. Ew. I know. This is also the same guy that like no. I, I accidentally left my toothbrush one time and this this wasn't like me marking my territory or anything, but he totally freaked out and thought that my toothbrush was like a sign that I was like moving in and infringing on his territory and he just tossed it into a random drawer. And so I'm like, how many things do like the same drawer that he pulled the hair tie out of? So I'm like, is this just like your designated drawer? I'm like, if I open this, am I going to see like other detritus left from girls past? I didn't because it, it honestly freaked me out a little bit to think about it that way. But yeah, that's so deep. Like, oh, here's I think we can get into like dating and what it means and how all of these stupid things like, oh, she left her toothbrush on the right side of the sink because she left it on the right side of the sink. It means this or she left it here as a test. It's like. Or they forgot their toothbrush and didn't, frankly, didn't want to leave it there anyway. And it's always, yeah, it's always, dating is stupid. Dating mm-hmm. and people, people suck at connecting. Humans, this isn't a male, female, non-binary, like humans, we suck at connecting and mm-hmm. we take everything far too personally. Mm-hmm. This is This is for another episode. Oh, totally. But yeah, it's not that deep. You weren't trying to leave a toothbrush there. And knowing how you are about brushing your teeth. Exactly. You would buy a second one to leave there. You wouldn't leave your one toothbrush at someone's house. I know. And I mean, frankly, this was a second toothbrush that I bought, but I very clearly kept it in a travel case. 
the whole time. Like this wasn't just like the second toothbrush that I bought to leave there. This is the second toothbrush that I bought to carry around with me. Weird segue, but I I have toothbrushes everywhere. There's one in my house. There's one in my purse. There's one at work. I keep like a Ziploc plastic bag in my desk with toothpaste and a toothbrush and a little thing of mouthwash. Like this, this is just who I am. I like to be able to brush my teeth. Yeah. He was far too into himself to assume he would do such a thing. Completely. Okay. So yeah. So back to tampons. I, I feel like it would have been a much bigger statement if I'd randomly like left a box of pads in his bathroom. That very much would have been like, a, I am very comfortable. I'm moving in here statement. Yeah. Not on the hair tie bit because that's odd, especially if it's stretched out. I mean, I'm sure men don't think of like a hair tie stretched out or not. That's creepy. But like hypothetically, if a female who you are regularly or no longer regularly sleeping with like leaves a full or most used box of tampons and you and it happens that whoever is next can use them sustainably don't throw them away if they're fine. I think the hair tie thing's only weird because it was stretched out. Even if it was a blonde one, I could be like, oh, it's a friend or roommate, a girl from a party. But the fact mm. that it's stretched out is the part that made it weird. This may seem really weird, guys, but we can tell how long hair ties have been in use. I feel like we should just do an episode one day on the different expenses that women incur because hair ties are definitely one of them. I mean, there's like this YouTube video of a male and a female like waking up to go to an event and shows the different costs that it takes each of them and the time it takes them. I think hers was four to five times higher. Mm -hmm. So ridiculous. I think it's partly a, a, it's a human choice, not a male-female choice. Because if a man wanted to get up and take as much time to put makeup on his face because it made him feel better or a they, mm -hmm. then – they would incur the same expenses typically attributed to females. So it's also a what makes you feel good and then how has society played into that? Mm -hmm. For me as a female, I like deciding what I wear. I like spending time on my hair and my makeup and getting presentable for situations. However, if I don't, it's also a choice sometimes. So I don't have to spend that. Mm -hmm. But speaking of human issues, one of the things I'm a little bit curious about is did you ever do any sort of like health or sex ed classes in school? I mean like, we had a health class. The one thing I remember about it was it scared me straight from doing ecstasy. And the day we were supposed to put condoms on a banana, the bananas were all too soft. So that didn't really go well. Oh, God. That's okay, my experience I... with health class. No, but the bananas were banana bread ready. Oh, yeah. That, that, they're, they're, yeah, no, I'm, it's that not, lacked some forethought. That, that has nothing to do with, that has nothing to do with like the likeness to anything. Just, mm -hmm. you can't. You can't on. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. But that's my experience with health class. Oh my Don't God. Don't do drugs and we didn't learn correctly about condoms. Remember they have expiration dates. Yes. Very important. Don't heat them up. Don't keep them in your wallet. Heat them up like in the microwave? Like, uh, no, like, like don't, don't, like, don't leave them in a place where they can get overheated, I guess. Like don't, don't leave your box like in the sun, like on your windowsill or something. Heater. Yeah. Near heater. Oh. In your glove com car glove compartment. Yeah, because it's hot. Yeah. Oh my God. I had a laptop completely overheat and die because I left it in the car in college in the trunk. Oh. Yeah. That was super awkward. I think, what was that? Senior year? So that was the year we moved in like two or three weeks before school started. And on, so like move-in day, like driving down, I was like, what, like seven, eight hours. And then it sat in the car, I think for two days because I didn't really need it. So when I went to get it out, it was fried quite literally. Interesting. I think I did two sections of health in school. One was in fifth grade. It was two weeks. We had to sign parent consent forms and it was all very technical. We had these like manuals, little pamphlets from like the 70s, it looked like, that talked about. Did you have to watch that movie in all the great in all the great sitcoms, the black and white movie? I don't remember what it's called. Not coming of age. No, I don't think so. Like the baby making videos or all those. I think so. I think I really repressed a lot of this actually because I remember every time it got to a particularly graphic paragraph, the teacher called on me because I was considered a mature student who could handle it. What was the paragraph? Outwardly, I'm sure I looked like I could handle it, but inwardly I was just like, ew, everyone is going to associate this with me forever and I'm going to get laughed at and pointed at on the playground. What was the paragraph? 
Well, now we need to know what was the paragraph. Oh, gosh. It's like things related to fallopian tubes and ovulation and uterine line shedding, all all that great stuff, which is nothing to be embarrassed about. But when you're 11, it's a little weird. I'm a big fan of using correct terms from a young age with children, but I also don't think it's like bad to use nicknames because I think to this day you use nicknames, but I do think anatomically should be taught first and then nickname should be next, not in avoidance of teaching the correct terms. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. I think I don't necessarily think that our fifth grade education there was very helpful because it, it was very anatomical and informative. But at the same time, I don't think that fifth graders are really ready to have like the deep conversations that go with it in a public forum with their peers that way. Um, I think it's hard balancing what school should teach, what home should teach. Mm -hmm. But I think people have different opinions. And I think I don't think fifth grade is too late. I think fifth grade, frankly, is a little late to start the initial conversation. Mm -hmm. I know there have been various ways I've listened to parents and how they do it. One of the ways that I thought interesting, I don't see this for me, but like it worked for this family was the parent would shower with the child of the opposite gender until their child started asking questions. And that was the signal of like seeing the naked parts of when they were like, okay, like my child is ready to start this conversation. Interesting. Which is interesting. And I think all parents have rights to decide when is right. I know there are a ton of books for young kids. And I think that know what's right for your child at what level they are. But I also think, unfortunately, because there are so many different ways to look at it, school systems need some sort of thing. So they might have been a little advanced. However, for someone, if that was the only source of education or access they had to the topic, it might have been necessary at that young age. I know people mm -hmm. who supposedly, I mean, I don't know factually, who were having sex in sixth grade. So. Oh, I mean, I think no matter when you start the conversation, it's just, it's very important to make sure that everyone feels comfortable with it and making sure that you're providing those resources and leaving the door open for it to continue. So in my school, we touched on it in fifth grade for two weeks. That conversation wasn't open again until I was in high school. I So I went to a Catholic high school. Sex ed was part of a part of our freshman religion class. And I was really lucky because I actually had one of the more liberal teachers assigned to me. So that conversation was a lot lengthier than other classes. I think we spent almost a month on it and he opened up the conversation to talk about the social implications and cultural implications associated like with what was going on with did your you guys body. Talk about gay sex? We did. We talked about gay, transgender, how my school didn't. I don't think we were supposed to. I not that it was banned in the curriculum, but I don't think it was covered. I think our teacher took it upon himself to expand that because when I talked to other people in different religion classes, they had far moved on from the topic and were back onto preparing for, I think, I think the Lenten season because I think we did this in spring. So yeah, it went on a lot more, but I think it was probably the more helpful of the two conversations because it wasn't just about like what was in our books and the curriculum, but it was about what was going to, what we would encounter in real life. I think that's good. And I think health class does not just mean puberty, does just not mean development. And when it comes to sexual health and hygiene, there's a lot of people who don't follow the, who don't have the societal heteronormative relationship and certain things you learn about safety and protection only pertain to one type of sex. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that is fair. It's, I think it's the same thing. It's like, well, I'm not gay. Why am I learning about gay sex? It's like, well, all of the kids in your class who aren't having straight sex have to only learn about that their entire lives through the traditional education system. Very true. Take a day. Teach. Learn. Mm -hmm. Because they deserve to be healthy too. Exactly. And I think even if you're not sexually active yet, um, like you might need this information going in to see your doctor. Like I know a lot, a lot of vagina owners when they go went to see the gynecologist, they're not prepared for what's going to happen in that room. Like I know the first time I went to see the guy. Cold. Yeah, very cold. Very cold. Always, right? They have new ones that are plastic and less cold from other podcasts I've been listening to, but they're not like the widespread norm yet. Oh, okay. So um, we're talking about speculums. If you're not familiar with what that is. Duck beaks. Yeah, it's this device that is inserted into the vagina and then the only word I have for it is it cranks you cranks open. Like a car jack. Yeah, it, that's what it feels like. It's like jacking up your car. That's what it sounds like too. <laughs> Like, it's it's so weird. Like, the first time I went in and I heard it, I was like, it's, okay, I can't think of the exact word for it, but there's that type of wrench. It's like a, a ratchet wrench. 
And it just makes such a similar That's sound. I was like, dear God, I'm I'm in a garage. This is so weird. But yeah, I wasn't prepared for what was going to happen in that room. I, I went in because I potentially had a UTI, but I, I, I wasn't sexually active yet. It was, so it was a very weird experience. And I don't, God, did my doctor? Cranberry think, juice is not a real fix. It's not as much as we'd like to believe it is. And it's not. See your doctor if you think you have a UTI. I, I came out, I came out of that appointment, like completely freaked out because like, here you are. You have to like undress from the waist down. Someone's jacked you up and is like poking around down there. And it's it's weird. And I've actually since had appointments where they actually didn't use a speculum. When I went in for my last, or not my last HPV screening, but the one before that, they didn't use it. She's like, oh no, she's like, we don't, we don't do that for that anymore. So she just like stuck it right in. Sans speculum. Very weird. But yeah, I just, I think that that's another area where we should properly educate our vagina holders before they go into the doctor that way. My opinion, I also think we should, we all should be, we should all be educated on what vagina owners have to go through. We should also be aware of what non-vagina and penis owners have to go through. I know like, it's like one day I do, like if you have children, if you have sons, I think it's, or if you get married to a man, if you have men in your life, it's important to know what they should check for and what they need to be doing as well. Because yes, airplane, put your mask on before anyone else's. But if you have your mask on, help someone. Mm-hmm. Here, here. No, I think help all around education. All I think of is Catherine Heigl doing prostate exams and Grey's Anatomy. Like that's my only sense of like men's health education is like Catherine Heigl like sticking her fingers up someone's butt. Oh, Lord. And I don't even know what she's looking for. I just know that's where the hands go. (laughs) I know. Me neither, actually. I really don't know. Um, And then on Degrassi, didn't Spinner have testicular cancer? It's a prostate exam. So like he did. Yeah. So that his symptoms, that's that's all I know for testicular cancer. If those are even correct, I I didn't look into it. I will look into it though for the show notes. But men, check yourselves. Learn how to check yourselves. Women ideally do it too. And everyone else, humans, educate yourself. Stay safe. And on that note, Thank you for listening to this episode of In Omnia Paratus. Grab your coffee bowl and don't forget to rate, download, and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, where you lead will follow. So head on over to at In Omnia Pod on Instagram and let us know what you want to hear about in the comments. Bye. Bye.